Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... I get my classic NES console today, so I'm happy. Jonathan Pritchett and all that. All right. And today we're going to be talking about why we're Christian apologists. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here, and he is a New Testament guy, does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. You can go out of this room tonight and be a Christian apologist. Now, it may not be that you're able to give the answers, but you know, you can be immediately when we're done here tonight, you can be an answer finder for people. We need to stand up and tell men, and and more and more women, God is smarter than you. And there are consequences for all of these actions. So why don't you stop for a moment and think, you don't know what's best for you compared to what God knows is best for you. All right, so we're actually why we're Christian apologists. This is a YMA that we actually are. Yeah, for those that may be new to the show, and I know we have a lot of new listeners, so let's just catch you up a little bit. Um, What we often do, or at least what we've done this season on Trinity Radio, is we've done what we call the WIMA series, and we kind of spell it Y-I apostrophe M-A, but it's for, uh, so we say WIMA, the WIMA episode, but it's for why I'm a whatever. And what we do is we take a prominent article or YouTube video, usually a YouTube video or something like that, from someone uh, out there in the internet world who says why they're a Mormon or why they're a Scientologist or why I'm an atheist or why I'm an agnostic or whatever. And uh, you'll see some of those behind us here on the back wall from previous episodes that we've done. And we encourage you to go listen to those because we think they're really good uh, for helping to respond to actual real people, not just theoretical people that you read about in a book or something. You know, right. we, they're real people and uh, giving an apologetic response. And then we we let them know that we've done that. And we've actually seen positive benefits out of that. Um, uh, I remember with the Why I'm a Catholic episode, we actually, the guy began to engage with some of our fans in the uh, discussion forum and things like that. So it's, it's kind of a cool way to do apologetics on the internet, we think. Yeah. But uh, we have said for a long time that ultimately we were going to do why we are, why I'm a and 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 mean it, you know why yeah, I'm a and Christian. There's several of those that we could do. Why yeah. I'm this, why I'm that. But today yeah. we're going to do why we're. Uh, we might do why we like why we're Baptists maybe someday. But uh, this one's why we are apologists. Yeah, and uh, as some of you may know, there are various approaches to Christian apologetics that one might take. And so, uh, why are we the particular kind of apologists yeah. that we are? So we'll talk a little bit about why broadly we're apologists, and we'll talk a little bit about why we're the specific sort that we are. But what's interesting about you, Braxton, um, that I yes. find is... There are many interesting things. You surrendered to the ministry long before apologetics entered your world. So yeah. th- this was something of a add-on to because I'm trying to think. Your bachelor's degree was in uh, 
expository preaching, right? That's right. Or is that your master's? No, that was the bachelor's. Yeah, your bachelor's was in pre. You uh, wanted to be. That was after having gone to state school to study for a long time, to, or for a while, to study How to philosophy be. and music and right. things like that. But yeah, ultimately, you, you I got wanted a to be a manager of bands. Yeah, yeah. I originally wanted to be a rock star, and then I realized pretty quickly. Uh, I was at one of the best music business schools in the nation, and I realized pretty quickly. I will never be a rock star, but I can make money off of people that will be rock stars. And so, uh, but then it was an atheist academic, long time listeners of the show will know this, but it was an atheist academic advisor who actually, I I kept trying to arrange my classes such that they would fit well with ministry related or theology or religion related things as well. That's why I took a lot of philosophy classes. And uh, this atheist advisor just said, what? Just go to seminary. Why are you here? And she was right. And so here I am. So that's pretty cool. But uh, you know what's even cooler? What's that? Is that I was actually in pretty decent bands that actually got to tour. I could have been the music business guy in an, in an alternate universe. Yeah. I was the, I was the music. I could have been the music business. I could be your manager. Yeah. Uh, and managed you, but now I'm still managing you <laughs> Just in, in this universe that God <laughs> right. did choose to actualize. Okay, so uh, let's talk about that so because I was in ministry. Wanted to be a preacher. I became a pastor at 20 years old and probably too young. That was after having been a youth pastor. But you always say probably too young. Why, why is that probably too young? I know a 20-year-old pastor who's awesome. His name is Austin Long. Yeah, I, is he 20? Well, he's 21, or maybe he's 22. I don't have a I don't problem. Know. He's 20-something, but he's been a... I don't have a problem with the idea of a young pastor, but I think that the when the Bible uses the word elder mm-hmm. <laughs> for this position, and I agree that an elder doesn't necessarily, have, counterintuitively, doesn't have to be an older man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact is, it is helpful. So what you're saying is you were less mature than Austin is. I think I was actually, well, probably, but I think <laughs> I was I was pretty mature for my age. I don't know if this is what people want to hear about, but uh, but the fact is I, I do think that there's something to the biblical qualifications, mm-hmm. um, and even if those are not always hard and fast, like like when it, it talks about their children are, uh, you know, they know how to handle their household and things like that. And you didn't um, have children. You, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have children. It's, I think you could read that, that if you have children you need to be the kind of person that right. could handle your household right. nevertheless if a person ha- if, if a person waits long enough that he has children and you can judge ju- make some judgment calls based on how he handles his children <laughs> that's helpful yeah. so uh but anyway uh, that's why i say that but i had the i fortunately had a father who was uh, a good guide for me he had been a pastor he had been a mega church pastor and 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 really uh, a great mentor for me and so he, you know, a lot of the sticky decisions that I had to make, I would run past him, and, and uh, that was very helpful. So I had that benefit. But um, somewhere along the way, um, I, I uh, my wife uh, actually had, when we were dating, I uh, she had been a part of a group that was very cult-like and really honestly was a bona fide cult. And she and I didn't know that when I was dating her, but but it came out while we were dating, and ultimately she left there and uh, made a genuine profession of faith in Christ, became a, a real Bible believing Christian. Before, or after you were married, uh, that was still before we were okay. married, and and ultimately uh, that gave me an interest to some degree in cults and uh, trying to figure things like that out. That's why I have a class on cults here at uh, Trinity College of the Bible and so Theological. You Center. wanted to to straighten Sarah out. <laughs> no, I wanted to. No, I wanted to help to straighten out or clarify thinking with people who 
had, like Sarah, been drawn into something that may look like very much like a yeah, harmless, non-denominational church. Yeah, but I'm talking about why y'all church, were dating. Why y'all were dating, this comes out. I didn't get into the apologetics then, though. I, I just kind of... I just it, it. She was hot, and you were just dating her, and she had a weird church. Yeah, I, I ended up doing some apologetics, yeah. but not knowing much about it. But I'm just saying that was where the interest was birthed. Okay. So that later I would be the kind of person to try and help people like her who had become a part of, as I was going to say, what had been like a harmless, seemed like a harmless non-denominational church, but turned out to have some very problematic yeah, doctrine. This is interesting. We did a show last season where, you know, it's like you always hear no missionary dating, but yet you did it since a Roth had done it. And we yeah. were talking about other examples where, yeah. where it actually had, had worked. Well, it's like the wisdom literature, you know, these yeah. are not, always and everywhere going to be true. Um, a, a kind answer turns away strife or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, not always, but <laughs> generally speaking, that's, a, that's, punched in the that's face, why but... it's wisdom yeah. literature. Yeah. Generally, this is good wisdom. And right. so um, if I was writing wisdom literature, uh, I would, I would say something like you shouldn't, you shouldn't date people that are not believers. However, um, has it ever turned out okay and been good for the people involved? Yes, it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know I was missionary dating because when I first started dating Sarah, I thought she was. Anyway, so then a close friend of mine uh, began to experience and had been experiencing same-sex attraction. He was honest enough with himself to realize that uh, he could either embrace a biblically, a biblically consistent worldview and uh, give up the lifestyle attached to his same-sex desire, um, or he could embrace the lifestyle and give up biblical Christianity and live a consistent. And he didn't want to live inconsistently, and that's what he did. He gave up the Bible, mm-hmm. and that. And and when he did, it, it led to ultimately an atheism. And he would challenge my faith in a very uh, straightforward way. And so I wanted to give an answer. I didn't know how to give. I wanted to be able to say something. Uh, I think I go into much more detail about this on our episode on evangelistic apologetics from last season. But I wanted I wanted to be able to do, and I didn't even know, apologetics. Yeah. So about that time, I ended up uh, going into full-time traveling, doing evangelistic events in churches all over America and around the world. And I started reading The Case for Christ and uh, some books like that. Yeah, my wife actually just now finished that book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, she... I think that's probably the first apologetics book she's ever bothered to read in all of our. We've been married that is not years. true. She read the Chronicles of the Adonai, my but fiction that's, book. That's fiction. It's okay. It's still an apologetics book. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the whole point. So uh, I have a fiction series. Oh, so that's her first nonfiction apologetics okay, there you book go. in all of our years. Caveat it. She's like, yeah, she was like, okay. Uh, well, we had it laying around. She's like, okay, I'm going to see if this is any good. Is it any good? And I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. She liked the movie. Pretty good, like one of the best-selling apologetics books she liked, of all time. She liked the movie, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. You know. She wanted to get the real story. <laughs> it's the real story, but you know, the, fill in the details. Okay, so um, so anyway, long story shorter, um, I, I I ended up getting into apologetics, really beginning by listening to young Earth creationist types like Ken Ham and Kent Hovind, and they were saying disparaging pen now. No, he's. I think he's out now. But he, they began saying disparaging things about people like William Lane Craig and Norman Geisler. And so I thought, well, I need to know what these uh, these heretics are saying yeah. so I know how to combat it. Because at that point, I thought apologetics was really more than anything else about um, creationism versus evolution and all that. And then a little bit of God's existence thrown in. So I started reading uh, Norman Geisler, uh, got through his entire four-volume systematic theology, uh, as well as I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, and real and became a fan. 
And then I began listening to William Lane Craig and graduated on to William Lane Craig. Mm -hmm. And with William Lane Craig came all of the William Lane Craig crew, uh, if you want to put it that way, which at the time, these people all kind of hung out together. So you had Gary Habermas, a little bit of Mike Lycone. He wasn't quite on the scene the way he is now, um, and people like that. Uh, So I started, you know, and then I just, I, I got into it. And so that was how it all started. And that was about the time that Apologetics... 315.com really came on the scene, uh, or at least came to my awareness. And man, I would go to Apologetics 315 three times a day at least, at least, because they updated so regularly. And the primary reason I was going to Apologetics 315 at that time was podcasts like this one. I wish that Trinity Radio had existed, uh, but it didn't exist at that time. But uh, other podcasts and uh, debates. I wanted debates. Yeah, debates are awesome. Were you doing the same thing? Did you go to Apologetics 315? Uh, I, occasionally. I went to um, J.P. Holdings' site a lot back mm-hmm. in the day. You're just trying to be different. That's no, what you're, you're uh, like seriously. the Apologetics hipster. No, J.P. J.P. Holding is not hip, okay? I was, I was reading his site, and then there was another site, a message forum, like those old oh, yeah. message boards yeah. called Theology Web. You know? But why were you interested in apologetics? Well, because, well, like I said, it was uh, I started to doubt the Christian faith, and that seemed to have all the answers. And then I discovered, like when I was reading the answers, like the people Lee Strobel interviewed, I wanted to be as smart as it. And that, I mean, you know, fat chance, but I wanted to know what they knew. So that's right. when I started getting more into it. Then I eventually started expanding my my own library and started reading a lot of books in the barber shop. Um, between haircuts. So I, I really got into it mainly because of crisis of faith, but then not only was I satisfied with the answers that I was finding, I wanted to know more. So I yeah. went kind of beyond the, 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 the Lee Strobel books to, to the people he was interviewing and wanted to yeah. know what they were saying. Yeah. Well, and so what I, what I began to realize was as I included apologetics in my evangelistic ministry and preaching and stuff, it was successful. I was seeing people, I was able to have conversations that I couldn't have before. I began to see people come to faith in Christ. Now, I will say this, and C.S. Lewis says something like this, and I think it's true. you got to be careful with apologetics. Apologetics, I I do think that in a certain sense, every Christian should know some apologetics, even if it's very basic, like they've read the case for Christ, should know something to say. Yeah. Uh, or core facts. Yeah, I have a book for that that I wrote called yeah. Core Facts. Um, but, I, but I think everyone should know some uh, amount of apologetics. But the, Yeah, it's not hard to learn. Core facts is what, 180, 200? Something like that. We yeah. can find out. But it, uh, it doesn't matter. It's a relatively short book. Yeah, it's... Um, this does not make good for good podcasting. Yeah, no, 190-something page book that, yeah. I mean, you can... You can read, and you can read it in, what, a couple days? Yeah, so. uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, a lot of people tell me they've read it in one sitting, but then gone back over it again because of uh, difficulty understanding yeah, some part of it. Yeah, and if you're not reading books, you have a problem. Uh, and I little, put little things in there called core moments boxes. They're little boxes that just kind of nutshell in a sentence or two what we're saying. But anyway, the, the, the point is, I think everyone should know a little bit of that, but I, don't, I do want to emphasize, I, I found that, apologetics can't you get your hands dirty when you study mm-hmm. apologetics 
um, you, you're, you're hearing what atheists say. And even if you don't read the atheist material, which I did, um, you, you and I still do, you, you do hear that. I like what Norman Geisler told me once. He said that he likes to read uh, like The God Delusion and uh, God's Not Great by Christopher Hitchens and mm-hmm. these kind of books for his devotional material because it makes him <laughs> feel closer to God to see how bad the arguments are. Yeah. But, uh, but, I, but, but the thing is, I, you do get your hands dirty because even if you don't read that stuff, in reading the arguments and the answers to possible objections, you do discover what the skeptics are saying. And so it's for that reason that I actually do not, and this has been very controversial. I, I, put, I said this on our uh, Facebook group, and people got upset with me, at least one guy particularly. But I, I do not think, let me say it this way, I think you need to be very cautious how you expose, if you expose, uh, this whole realm to young children. Yeah, um, I think by the time they get to ten or twelve years old, okay, they're they're you know they certainly by junior high or high people school, try to tell me yeah. though that yeah like well okay five year olds are hearing this stuff and all that well yeah they are that's true but the, I think what's the best thing there is to is to know the five year olds in your life and have relationships with them mm-hmm. that's going to be important and then if you want to have those conversations you can but but you get your hands dirty and so it as William Lane Craig often says in his debates for some people apologetics can be a distraction. Yeah. Uh, from just a simple gospel proclamation. But I was unaware at that point of the ongoing debates about between presuppositionalist apologists and, uh, and, and evidential and cum- all the five major views you know, that you get, classical, yeah. evidential, cumulative case, presuppositional, reformed epistemology. There's a great book on that, The Five Views on Apologetics from Zondervan. But you, you, I was unaware of the debate. Yeah, until I read that book, yeah. and I couldn't believe, number one, I was surprised, because at that time, I didn't see how presuppositional apologetics, for example, qualified as apologetics. I think it does now, but at the time, I was like, it was so different yeah. from the frames of reference that I had been used to. It's like, this isn't apologetics. This is just, again, this is just like proclamation evangelism, you know? this is like, yeah. But I, I feel differently about that now, though that's still not my... Particular yeah, I, I like the what's good about presuppositionalism. I do like transcendental arguments. I do like the impossibility of the contrary in conversational evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the worst thing about presuppositional apologetics has to be presuppositional apologists. They don't do that method any favors. And I hate to be blunt and rude, but I'm sorry. Well, not, not blunt and rude, but broad brush. Uh, You're being a little bit broad. Brush. Yeah, I want to use a, a broad. Show me a competent presuppositionalist that doesn't make a clown out of himself. John Frame. Um, yeah, but he. I haven't seen him debate and look like a clown. I think he's got a new book out. Yeah, uh, John Frame, but he uses that for evangelism, according to John Frame. <laughs> in, in the video. Uh, but I, I'm talking about these debaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, you lose every time. I, I've yet to. Uh, I, my friend Miguel Benitez, he tried to show me a debate where he thought that uh, that that a presuppositionalist won. Mm-hmm. What he showed me was a debate where a presuppositionalist didn't just completely flounder. Um, so, uh, not being a complete clown is not the standard. And I'm sorry, I like presuppositional apologetics, but presuppositional apologists, you're not helping. Yeah, and sometimes I'll say something, you know? or people will watch an old debate or something, and they'll, see, and they'll be like, oh, you were kind of being a presuppositionalist there. I'm like, okay, yeah. like, big deal. I, don't, I think yeah. you should take what's good from these 
different right, approaches. Right, from all the different views. Um, Toolkit but, apologetics. Yeah. They're all useful in different situations. Um, I like presuppositional apologetics. I just don't like their representatives who are out there. Yeah, so I felt, obviously because of the pedigree that I had just fallen into, right. I initially just embraced classical right. apologetics. And, um, you know, the difference, obviously, between classical and evidential, what is, you know, categorized in the Five Views book as classical versus evidential is evidential apologetics is a one-step approach. You just demonstrate something like the resurrection, usually the resurrection. And then you get God. And then, obviously, if Jesus was raised from the dead, God is the best candidate for that. Um, classical apologists will say... There's um, more natural theology involved in, in, in classical Well, yeah, because the criticism, if yeah. we got very, very technical, the criticism of just flat evidential apologetics is you could say, well, okay, y- even if you showed me that Jesus uh, somehow was raised from the dead, why should I believe that God is the best explanation why not for that or something? Else. And oftentimes, um, like Mike Lycona, people like that, will be happy to just say, fine, I'm, if you're willing to admit that Jesus rose from the dead... That's enough for me, because everyone in the audience knows the best candidate for that is God, particularly given the religiously informed context right. with which he rose from the dead. But I do think if you're gonna if you're gonna if you really want to shore that up, yeah. then use the two-step approach, which is classical apologetics, in which you demonstrate that there is a God mm-hmm. to have raised Jesus from the dead, so that when you come from the resurrection, number one, it's not as big of a claim, frankly. It's it's still as big of an event, but not as big After of a you claim. After you God exists, God if raising God a man exists, from the dead is not right. it's small potatoes if He created right. the universe from nothing. Exactly, and then but the knock against that from the Reformed epistemology camp would be, yeah, you're you're wasting your time. You don't need it. You just believe, and you you have you have perfect. Well, sure, and and, and for and, Reformed epistemology people, yeah. if if there is something internal mm-hmm. that sort of uh, testifies to them, like a mm-hmm. census divinitatis that that yeah. informs them that it's true, then okay, I believe and, that that's and, justified. And the presuppositional apologist, which is this is not necessary from the presuppositional method, but you hear it a lot from the apologists, which is why they're a problem, is that, well, you're an idolater. <laughs> you don't believe the Bible, and you're an idolater, and you're assuming a neutral ground between you and your opponent from which you can reason, so that means you don't believe the Bible and you hate Jesus. <laughs> No, yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I, I hear this lying. kind of... Yeah. You're lying. You're lying and all yeah. that. This is... I'm, I'm telling you, presuppositional apologists, if you're getting mad watching this, tough. Uh, time for some tough love. Grow up. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think... I mean, like Cy Ten Bruggenkate... Yeah, I think he's ridiculous. ...will say... Well, actually, I enjoy watching him because he does have a way of getting get, uh, getting to okay. their presuppositions. I watched his debate with Matt Dillahante, and while yeah. I enjoy a good trolling... Yeah, um, you don't do that on a debate. My argument, hit my issue. That's with all he that did debate, in his opening statement was troll Dillahante, and then he lost. Okay, but my issue with that debate was yeah. not uh, Bruggen Kate's treatment, like the way he approached it philosophically. My issue with that was really with the Q and A in the audience. Uh, where someone would say something like, well, how do you explain the atrocities of the Old Testament? Well, I'm not going to talk about God the can, Bible. Well, I, I'll do a Bible study with you once you're a Christian. What, yeah. Give an answer. What, what, even if you think that that man, because of your doctrinal soteriological yeah. views, uh, even though in anthropology, you think that he has cognitive fallenness, and until God irresistibly graces him, he will not, he will not want to understand these arguments or accept them. Yeah. I, I get all that. I know all that. But what does it hurt you? 
Why, to why, go is ahead that, why can that not be? The, why can that not be the means by which God? You, and this brings up another point that I'm sorry. Uh, presuppositional apologetics is not necessarily tied to Reformed theology. That's right. I can point to a lot of practitioners of it that are actually self-avowed Pelagians. Uh, Kerrigan Skelly is one who gives a whole thing about presupposition, and he's as far from Reformed theology as you can get. Yeah. So there's a spectrum here. It's just that the Reformed guys see. But to me, I, I watched that debate. I thought it was silly. I, I enjoy a good trolling. You should have done that for like a YouTube video. I wish we could troll somebody like that if we figure out our new equipment, how to how to play and stop and troll people. But but you know, Pritchett Prime stayed at home for his debates. You know. You don't do that in, yeah. in a debate. And then, as entertaining as it was, he subsequently lost, and he lost huge in my Pritchett in my Prime? View. No. Kerrigan <laughs> uh, Shelley. Sight and Breeding Kate. And, yeah, I'm throwing out a gauntlet out there. Yeah, I mean, you guys need to get it together because you're just making—I think it dishonors Jesus to behave that way. So Well, for those of you who are new to the show, that's how he is, and this is how I am. There, there, approach yeah. it. You know, calm down. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think the thing is, and I tell our students here this at Trinity in the apologetics thing, because not only are there non-Calvinists or non-Reformed people who use presuppositional apologists, yeah. there are Calvinists and Reformed people who use classical apologetics right. or something Sproul, else. For yeah, example, wrote a book great, on that. Yeah, and, the late great R.C. Uh, we, we have well, one of our students, Dylan Simmons, who's a... a personal evangelist expert. I mean, this guy is out there every night witnessing to people on the streets, and he uses yeah. presuppositional apologetics yeah. in his conversational evangelism, and he wins people to Jesus using that kind of approach. Yeah. But I don't know that you would get Dylan in here to say, well, if I got into a formal academic debate, I'd use it. No, he admits you, you yeah. should use evidence sometimes. Yeah. And, and some presuppositionalists will. I mean, that, but th- there's a misunderstanding about presuppositionalists there. But but as I tell our students all the time who have that sociological or biblical worldview perspective that says, um, on their understanding of the Bible, that we have this cognitive fallenness. And so um, an unbeliever is not going to reason up with you. Don't get down in the dirt with them, as Greg Bonson said. You know, don't get down in the dirt and reason up with the unbeliever to God's existence. They won't go with, there with you. They they will not accept it. You know, they, they don't want to. Kind of like the Van Til that, that they know, but they don't know. They they believe, but they don't believe kind of thing. That, that, that They're not going to do that with you because of this willful disbelief and blah, 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 until God graces them. What I always say to those kind of people is, okay, you guys believe that God uses means, right? That's what Calvinists always say. You believe mm-hmm. God uses means. And he uses the means of the preaching of the gospel, for sure. The Bible tells us that, that he uses preaching. Apologetics, even a classical or evidential approach, um, it is preaching, if, if preaching is the yeah. proclamation of the truth, you're preaching. You're preaching the resurrection. The, the, you're telling people that God exists and that Jesus rose from the dead, and you're even using some Bible. So there, sprinkle that little bit on top of it. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is, um, why can't God use that those means, the preaching of the gospel that includes some evidential stuff, just like he uses the preaching of the gospel that's simple proclamation you mean, you evangelism. Mean evidential apology, like the stuff you find in the book of Acts when they preach. You're right. <laughs> right. Just like Acts 17 yeah. and other Yeah, you've got a wonderful, you know, uh, presentation on all of that biblical data. That yeah, it's from when I was at New defend. Orleans yeah. Baptist Theological Seminary. It's on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. Uh, I've got the whole thing's on there. It's like an hour long. Yeah, hour it was great. Um, the, the thing that I found, what, what got me why I am in apologetics is kind of like you. 
uh, when I, I went through uh, a degree program in, at another seminary uh, in apologetics, mm-hmm. and I, when I got done, I didn't really care for it. Uh, but when I came across you and saw somebody who was doing, because I really liked evangelism, I was in a you know in bars doing evangelism. Congratulations, you are a Christian. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I really, I really enjoyed doing that sort of uh, evangelism through music. Except we didn't just play music. We always, I always gave a sermon and an altar call in a bar. Yeah. Uh, we need to do a whole other show on how phony most Christian the Christian music industry really is, but we were... We do not need to do a show on that. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. Uh, Go I back and look at our episode it. on coloring for Jesus. There's enough of that there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. But we used to do actual evangelism instead of just kind of couching it to, you know, Jesus here and there, mm-hmm. just excuse to do rock music. But So I always liked that, uh, but then after I got out of the seminary or got out of my apologetics program, I was like, well, what next? I mean, nobody... There was doing any evangelism. Nobody went on to do any evangelism. And then I came across you and saw, it's like, yeah, that could be useful. So that's where I get a little bit more sympathetic with presuppositionalism because I find it useful in cumulative case apologetics, useful yeah, we haven't for, talked about that one yet. for personal evangelism, mm-hmm. you know, or even um, proclamation evangelism and preaching. Those two things are, you know, I find in debates that that, that evidentialism and, and classical apologetics are the best approaches, but in evangelism, whether it's it's preaching or it's or it's personal evangelism, I always find uh, the cumulative case and the uh, presuppositional yeah, approach. Yeah, so I used to be yeah. really against anything but classical apologetics. And, of course, kind of okay with evidential apologetics because it's the resurrection. You tack that on how can your, you? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's involved in classical, but then how do you really criticize someone who's all about the resurrection? So, yeah. I, I, you know, I, but then I found this guy who's now a Catholic, but Donald J. Johnson, mm-hmm. and I found Douglas Gruthaus. Um, and I began reading their stuff and, beca- and, and kind of s- just saw the interaction one-on-one. D- uh, Don Johnson uh, is Catholic now, but you can go back and look at all his old podcast episodes. I think it's a podcast called um, Christianity and Other yeah, Worldviews and or something. And his book, too, is good. Yeah, but if you want to hear, th- the book is good. It's called How to Talk to a Skeptic. I'm, yeah. I'm in there. But, if you, but if, you, if you get that podcast and look at the old episodes where he's talking with skeptics, you'll see someone using a cumulative case approach mm-hmm. with a skeptic, any kind of skeptic, and it just really worked well. Now, the criticism of cumulative case is what's called the leaky buckets argument because they'll, what the cumulative case person does is throws out just all kinds of stuff, little facts, pieces mm-hmm. of data about the way the world is, and they're not just going to defend them like William Lane Craig, like defend them to the I mean, that was the Josh McDowell uh, approach. Oh, really? Yeah. And But you do, what you do is you throw out all this evidence and, and well, you know, like uh, they might throw out beauty, you know, why do we find certain things beautiful and, and other things not? They may use like God's the best explanation for the beginning of the universe or the design or mm-hmm. the morality or, or, or whatever. But um, what the person, when the person comes back and says, well, I have explanations for that, uh, morality is is not real it's, or, or it's uh, non-natural moral realism or something like that. Or uh, with... Um, uh, beauty, well, it's stuff's beautiful because a waterfall was beautiful, and, and so we developed this idea of beauty because of a water source when we were primitive or whatever. They, they have explanations, and the, whereas someone like William Lane Craig with his arguments, well, now let's talk about it and debate it. Yeah. What the cumulative case guy will say, or gal, is simply, 
yeah, you do have explanations, but let's do what's called inference to the best explanation, which is also what happens with historiography. But let's do inference to the best explanation. Let's compare your answers to right. all these pieces of data with mine and see which worldview works the best. The reason that works so well, I agree with you, for personal evangelism is because, and I have a whole appendix in Core Facts about it, is because whatever the person, you could have just seen a movie that deals yeah. with freedom of the will or uh, something like that, or you come out of a lecture from a college classroom about the migratory patterns of butterflies or whatever, and you can just take that and use that as a piece of data about the world that you and your uh, the person you're evangelizing agree about. And then you can reason that Christianity makes better sense of that right. than whatever opposing worldview. One thing that we we want to communicate, if you haven't picked up on this thread, is that every bit of our purpose in apologetics has to do with evangelism. Yes. It's, it, you, you talk in your other book, I won't grab it, but that book back there, Evangelist Apologetics, about how apologetics for too many people is a groupy group of cliquish church folk who just... Uh, want to entertain themselves with this. Yes. Uh, and they want to argue for the sake of arguing on the internet because they think apologetics is cool and blah, 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 blah. Um, but not really doing anything as far as trying to re win people. To yeah, cry. I think I have like an eight-minute yeah. video where I yeah. talk about that on the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. Evangelistic apologetics, that's our thing. Uh, and um, that's the only real reason to do it. Well, I, I'm I mean, working on a second doctorate right now on discipleship apologetics. Um, it does this move, and I'm going to do actual empirical research. Does this move the needle with uh, church people who have made a profession of faith? Because uh, we have this problem of people slipping away. But in times of serious doubt, like mm -hmm. you said you experienced, does, the, does apologetics move the needle? And can people who are... Lay church people, uh, you learn relatively quickly enough material to talk to other lay church people who are doubting and move the needle. And the reason I think it's important is because the leadership of the church can't know everything yeah. and everyone all the time. Right. And so it's good for lay people. So I do think there is some building up the faith of the artist. So, so evangelism outside of the church, uh, spiritual formation inside the church. Yeah, I think so. Those are the two main things. But primarily we're evangelistic yeah. apologetics. Yeah, but I mean, as far as what it's there for, to strengthen the faith of those who believe and to win those who don't believe. Yeah, because we the, the point and the common thread there is yeah. we think apologetics, you should do something with it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so you know I've been in this apologetics culture now for so long, like and and apologetics 315 was so helpful in that. I mean, I've been I've told people about apologetics 315 almost and, as much as you plug your own website, probably more, given the <laughs> whole history of my work in apologetics. And people have said to me, "You work for them, don't you?" No, <laughs> just, but if you'd like to cut a check, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, but I have, I have. Uh, promoted them, be but but the thing is, I just even there, I like and with everything, I just saw, and there are there were some things out there that that were aimed at you learning it for evangelism and stuff, but the vast majority of it was a bunch of apologetics geeks who wanted to either argue on the internet or use it for personal entertainment or maybe to build up their own faith, but they came, became geeks for it, like we become geeks for Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or something. Or my NES classic console coming in the mail today. I know you're excited about that. I am so... I plan to come and, play it with and, you sometime. Yeah, but what's sad is that you have the original NES Classic and you've never had... But the point is you cannot use your Star Wars or your Lord of the Rings uh, or your SNES uh, 
No. To go NES. change the world or your NES to go change the world for something. Well, right. What you're going to do is you're going to go and cloister yourself in your own house with your sealed doors. <laughs> That's language from the book of Haggai. I will be doing and, that and later gonna, tonight. And you're going to and you're going to play it in the dark. Yeah. And then and then it, it does nobody any good. It's not even multiplayer. You can't even talk to people on the internet no. and reach them for Christ. Like there's no real benefit besides your own personal enjoyment. And I think that's fine. I think there are some things that that should be personal enjoyment. Um, even if sometimes they're not the best things for you, uh, I think that everyone should experience the, uh, the 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 Jack in the Box taco because even though it is like an envelope filled with cat food, there's something about it that makes you uh, just just lo- love it. Um, that's from Don Johnson too. He says yeah. that, but I think it's right. There's something about it that you that's just funny. you eat one. And you're like, I'm never eating one of those again. But since they come with two, there's one in the chair, in the car next to you. And so as you're driving, you finally you eat the other one, and then you find yourself back at Jack in the Box. It's okay to have some things that are bad for you that are just personal, like thing. But yeah. here's the thing: in terms of our ministry and our overall lives, we need to be reaching uh, the world for Jesus. And apologetics, to me, what's the point? Okay, but just uh, Braxton Hunter. Uh, but I am that lay person. You get paid to do this. I get paid to, uh, you know, uh, mold fittings for tables at my factory. Why do I? What, what do you, What do you mean? I need to be doing this? Well, if you're molding tables, uh, fittings for t- whatever you said that sounded too manly for me to understand, um, whatever you're doing there you're interacting with other people mm-hmm. in the, in the real world and i believe that you ought to be trying to live out the great commission yeah um i i am not one of those people that thinks and i know there's a great controversy about this that the great commission was only for the 12 <laughs> um the, i'm using that as a title the 12 you know uh but i i don't think it was just for them people say well it just went out to them uh to to, to do that but at the same time then jesus said yeah and teach those people everything i'm teaching you right now which so would include, <laughs> which would include what i just now said right so I, I think everybody should be trying to reach someone in some way or other yeah. and if you're doing that in a factory you're you're like more and more you're likely going to run into people who have intellectual objections. Now, those intellectual objections, presuppositionalists, I'm here for you, may be a smokescreen or not, but for you guys, it's a smokescreen, right? And there may be something deeper, a heart issue, or maybe they're mad at God because they lost a child or something like that. And yeah. But you need to know how to peel away that smokescreen, and that smokescreen is a real smokescreen, right? So, yeah. so we need and, to know... And you can do it without being a clown. Right, and so... I mean, just right now, we're remodeling our house, portions of our house, because we're going to sell it. Um, and uh, that's annoying, by the way. You get your house exactly how you want it, and then you leave it. <laughs> but um, but we're doing <laughs> After that. After spending a lot of money. <laughs> right, right. And there's a couple of guys in there that are they're talking with us. And, and that you know, it, one of them has become a big fan of the show. I hope that, I hope that he is listening right now. Uh, and, but the other one seems a little like maybe he's not sure about certain things. And so we're talking a lot of apologetic, and it's been very helpful. Yeah. So I think even if you are making uh, moldings for a table or whatever in the world that is, I think you need to know some. some you, you don't need to know philosophical about foundations for the Christian worldview. This much. But that's about how much you need. You don't even need evangelistic apologetics. You just need something like this. So that's why I'm a Christian apologist. Yeah, because we want to reach people for Jesus, yeah. period. Yeah. That's why I'm a Christian apologist. It, do you, anything else? Yeah, if you would like to help us, you can become a patron.
Yeah, you can visit us at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. Or click somewhere. Or if you're watching head. on the video, where can they click? Somewhere above my head near this picture of L. Ron Hubbard. Now what he's going to do Lyme is he's going to do what he did last episode. time. Yeah, what he did last time was I'm pointing at things and he puts the box over here and I just look stupid. <laughs> yeah, but it will be. It'll be up above. <laughs> I don't have any control about where that goes. But right. um, also... Uh, and shout out to our new patrons. We've got some new patrons too. Um, I... I I get excited every time he runs into my office and says, somebody else has given us five bucks. And I'm like, wow. And if you haven't noticed, um, we've noticed that that um, we look better. You can actually see us go compare. We have um, lights in our faces right now, but you can't see them. They're off. We, need, we still need to do the behind the scenes for the patrons to show them, walk them around our set close up. Oh, yeah. And the patrons and people yeah. were so upset that we're not patrons because we just did an episode um, uh, for the patrons only with yeah. uh, Leighton Flowers, and right. uh, people were really upset about that because people love some Leighton Flowers. Yeah, well, we did a we did the regular episode with Leighton Flowers, and they still wanted more, huh? Yeah, and uh, well, it, look, even somebody a, trying to guilt me. What's the minimum like, they can give? People are getting entitled. Like, I don't have to make this podcast. What are you doing here? Yeah. You know, what, but what is the what is the minimum patron? They can give whatever they want, but if they want to start getting stuff, they need to give five dollars. Okay. Oh, we yeah, that's right. We um, give stuff. Also, I want to say for I don't know who if these people are patrons or not, but we've gotten a few things that I haven't mentioned. Some good reviews on the iTunes page, and I've always said we would mention some of those. So um, Abe Alam says Braxton is a wonderful apologist and has great theology. Thanks. I've listened to him through various mediums for a while now. Getting ready to buy his book. I'm also happy I was introduced to Jonathan as well. Trinity sounds like a great school with great teachers. It is. Um, TV yeah, Reds. People way better than us here. TV Reds says, this is my second year of listening to this podcast. I will admit it took a while to get hooked, but hooked I am. Dr. Braxton Hunter is the epitome of grace, knowledge, and pastoral wisdom. Pritchett Prime is just off the hook. He says things I wish more theologians would say. For example, stupid or shut up. And these need to be said more often than not. Uh, Andrew Marcus Magana says, Trinity Radio is awesome. Because it covers theological issues as well as cultural issues. Braxton and Jonathan are funny and scholarly. They make geeking out over theology and apologetics desirable. Listen to Trinity Radio with about 10 exclamation points. And lastly, um, Adam VGG says, I enjoy Braxton and Jonathan's discussions, especially the interaction between the two. This is a great resource for those interested in learning more about a variety of theological and worldview topics. So thank you all for those. We will read those if you go and give us reviews and ratings. We're upset right now that the Bible Brewdown still has a few more reviews than us. And that must change. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to our sister podcast. We are a part of a group called the Trinity Commission. These are all people who are either professors or students at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary at trinitysem.edu. But you can get the Trinity Commission. We have a Facebook group, a Facebook page, and it has. And so you get uh, Steve Gregg of the Narrow Path, um, great resource. We have Leighton Flowers who handles soteriology over at soteriology101.com. We have uh, the Bible Brodown. The which, best show of the Trinity Commission. And we, uh, Matt, uh, yeah, Matt Chisholm. My favorite Wendell. anyway, yeah. And then we have uh, Trinity Radio here. Yeah. And so if you, um, if uh, hey. If which you, is all those wonderful things you just heard him read. Yeah, yeah. We're, These we're people all already that. did that yeah. for us. So, But 
the real, aside from it, it making Jesus more well-known mm-hmm. and defending the truth of the gospel, we also want to do this show because we want to invite you to become a member of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, trinitysem.edu. Just go to the website, and on the right-hand side of the page, there's what we call an eval form. Just fill out that eval form, and, and we'll send you some more information. And I think you'll be blown away. Uh, evangelism is at the heart of everything we do. The Bible is the foundation for everything we do. And, um, and apologetics is more and more becoming the thing that Trinity is known for. But we yeah. also have biblical counseling, pastoral studies. Uh, also, do me a favor. If you enjoy this show, it doesn't cost you a dime if you'll just go over to the YouTube channel. Even if you're not listening by YouTube, youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter, and just click subscribe. It really, really does help us out. So like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you so much for being here this week on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.